Good morning. This is good to see each of you. And uh, by the way, I don't know if you know this, but today is one of the holiest Sundays in all of Christendom. You know why? Well, we have, you know we have Christmas and we have Easter, but last night we got an extra hour's sleep. <laughs> so come on, that has to be one of the holiest Sundays of the year. And, and I hope, I hope you did not waste it on debauchery or uh, in working longer. I hope you actually took that hour and got rest. I know I did, and, uh, but I hope some of you got to take advantage of that. I know many who have kids did not. So, um, but uh, another thing that I want to just reflect on this morning, uh, thank you, band, um, these men and women, yes. Um, and the many that you don't see that we're here at 7 o'clock setting up, I, I want to say this, and I'm, I'm going to say it, um, and it moves me just thinking about it, but we have some of the most servant-hearted people on the face of this planet all these people that are leading here, the people that are setting things up, our leadership team, they truly are servant-hearted people that put people first. And uh, I just want to honor everyone today for having that heart. And I would argue that many of you in this room are those same kind of servant-hearted people or you wouldn't be attracted to something like this because um, there's a lot of grander things that you can go to. But I hope you, I hope you feel that in some way. And then... One more thing that before we get started, uh, Thursday is a very special day. Um, Thursday is Veterans Day. So talk about servant-hearted people, yeah. Um, do we, if you are a veteran, would you just stand for us real quick if you're a veteran? Yes. Frank, back in the back. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Um, and our world is going to be okay because there still are good people that are in it. And I hope you're encountering them. But we honor all of you uh, that have served and uh, not just this great nation that we're in, but all you to serve this morning to, to pull this off so that we can have this experience. It's deeply meaningful. All right, I want to uh, speak to you this morning. We've been in this series called Rhythms of Grace. And I was deeply impacted a few months ago by a text um, out of the scriptures, and I read it in the Message Bible, and it took just this special place in my heart as I read it out of the Message Bible. Cam just read it, and it's Jesus' words, come unto me, all ye who are weary and tired and who need rest. But I want to read to you out of the Message Bible. It says it this way, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me and watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live lightly and freely. This raptured me months ago and I wish I had it all figured out. But what I have figured out and what I've learned I want to share with you. But the truth is, is that we all need this maybe more than ever. These stories of Jesus in the scriptures, these words of Jesus, they are, um, they speak to us at a deep level that resonate with us. When Jesus begins to talk about things like grace and peace 
and unconditional love and forgiveness and generosity, these kinds of stories, when we hear them, there's something deep within us that we all go, yes, we need more of that. The world needs more of those kinds of things. And I want to invite us to something this morning because we were singing a song about trusting Jesus more and more. And when I was a little boy and we would sing that song, I, you know, I would nug my mom and I go, what are we trusting Jesus for? And she would say, well, you go to heaven when you die. Oh, okay, good. That's good. Okay. That's what we're trusting Jesus for. Um, and so as a little boy and my faith as it was beginning, it was something that was very essential to me. But I think we're trusting in something far more than just theological concepts of, you know, that were told by people like me on how to believe. I actually think the words of Jesus and these things that resonate at a deep place within us where we go, yes, yes, I need more of that. The world needs more of that. These are the kinds of things that we're invited to practice. They're the kinds of things that we're invited to learn. They're the kinds of things that we get to share with each other so that we could go, that's what it means to trust Jesus. So what I'm inviting us to consider this morning is not some esoteric theory that, you know, someone in the fourth century said this is what it means to trust Jesus. I want to invite us to very real things that actually impact the ways that we live our lives. I want to talk about forgiveness today. And um, I want to talk about the cost of it because there's a cost to living lives open our hearts and pursue forgiveness. But I also want to talk about where lives of forgiveness actually lead us to. So I just want to talk a little bit about the flow of forgiveness. There is this Christ pattern in the scriptures of forgiveness. And he, he uses words like this. And I'm just going to go back. I was reading out of Matthew 11. But in the Sermon on the Mount, which, by the way, is one of my favorite portions of scripture. So if you're around here long, I will probably always refer to this at some point. Another place I go, you'll find out Genesis. Um, that my wife should always tell me, how do you get Genesis into every sermon? I'm like, well, it's where the whole thing began. Of course we have to go back to that. But Jesus uses these words and I call them, they're like, they're like the shifts. He, he takes something that is a thing that everyone has understood up to this point and he changes it and shifts it to something that's a little more deeper. A place that, you know, when we experience something like unconditional love and we go, oh, that feels so good. Yes, I need more of that. I want to share more of that with the world. That's what he's taking us to, these things that maybe are on the surface. And then he shifts it and goes, here's a deeper way to experience it. Here's a deeper way to think about it that you actually can wrap your arms around and your heart around and your life around. So he says um, in the Sermon on the Mount, this is chapter 5, verse 38. He says, you've heard it said an eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. He says, you've heard it said, love your, enemy, or love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, and this is where he shifts everything, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your Father in heaven. So here's this subtle shift. There's a way that people have thought about it. In this world, in the first century world, if you did something to me, you got repaid, I repaid you back with what I think I should give you back for what you did to me. That's the way the world back then, it doesn't work that way anymore, does it? No, not at all. No, in so many ways we are still um, trying that out. And Jesus invites us to something completely different here. I want to show you what he was dealing with. I want to show you what it could look like um, 
the culture that he was confronting. In Judges chapter 15, um, there was this guy in the Bible named Samson. And let me just, I just want to read some of this to you. And I want you to pick up what is happening here. Pick up the way people are living eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth and just loving their neighbor and hating their enemy. And that's, just follow along here. See where this leads them, where it might lead us, where it leads the world. It says, later on at the time of the wheat harvest, Samson took a young goat and went to visit his wife. That always makes me laugh for some reason. He said, I'm going to my wife's room, but... Her father would not let him go in. I don't know why that makes me laugh, but I just envision that being romantic, him taking a young goat to his wife, and I don't, I don't really know what that means. It had, probably has something to do with a sacrifice. But I, um, the father responded, her father responded and said, I was sure you hated her, so I gave her to your companion. Isn't her younger sister more attractive? Take her instead. <laughs> this is the kind of world we live in. How horrible of a father to say that. So he went out and caught 300 foxes. Now this is what Samson did because he's angry that his wife has been given away to his companion. And he's angry. So he takes 300 foxes, tied them tail to tail in pairs, then fastened a torch to every pair of tails and lit the torches and let the foxes loose in the standing grain of the Philistines. He burned up the uh, shocks and standing grain together with the vineyards and the olive groves. When the Philistines asked who did this, they were told Samson, the Timonite son-in-law, because his wife was giving away to his companion. So the Philistines went up and burned her father and her to death. Okay, so here's what's happening. A guy comes with a goat to see his wife, all right? And the father-in-law says, she's no longer your wife. I gave her to your companion. And um, won't you take her sister instead? And now he gets upset, so he takes these foxes and goes and lashes out against a whole people group called the Philistines. And then goes on to say, or Samson said, now this is what's key, since you've acted like this, I swear that I won't stop until I get my revenge on you. Now look, just look at this pattern here. The cycle that is happening. And by the way, someone who ties foxes' tails together and lights them on fire and burns everything down, do they have the right to say, since you acted that way, now I'm going to... It's like there is this endless cycle that is going on in human history here. And Jesus steps right into the middle of it and interrupts it and says, you've heard it said. But I say, here's a completely different way to think about it. Now, it goes on here... um, he, the, the Philistines come to Samson and they said, we're going to do to him what he did to us. And they, uh, then 3,000 men from Judah went down into the cave of the rock and said to Samson, don't you realize that the Philistines are rulers over us? What have you done to us? He answered, I merely did to them what they did to me. It just keeps going on. And then the Philistines come back and they do something to him. And then it ends with the, in this way in chapter 15. He says, finding a fresh jawbone of a donkey, he grabbed it and struck down a thousand men. Then Samson said, with a donkey's jawbone, I have made donkeys out of them. With a donkey jawbone, I have killed a thousand men. So here, here it is. It starts with a guy and a goat and a woman he believes is his wife. And it ends with a thousand men being killed with a jawbone of a donkey. A couple observations about revenge. Um, 
And by the way, when do you know you've gotten revenge? When do you know when you've gotten enough? Is there this moment in getting revenge where you go suddenly, oh, I feel the peace of God. Now I can, now I can rest. I could be in peace. Um, is there this moment where you go, oh, that, that just led to such deep well-being in my soul. I feel so much better. The truth is that revenge always escalates and it never, never ends. It just keeps perpetuating and it never satisfies. The observation in this for me is that revenge is not the most healthy way to deal with hurt, to deal with abuse, to deal with something that's been done to us. And it certainly is not better for us, I'm going to argue this morning, but it's also not better for the world. And the truth is we all live in a world where we just see this perpetuated. It's you did this to me, I'm going to do that to you, whole people groups, um, parts of families doing it to each other. And it never leads to what is deepest in all of us that we know to be true. We know to be the way reality should go in the way we're made. And we know it at the deepest place, but I'm also going to be honest with you. This is one of the hardest ways to live. So if we're going to trust that Jesus' words are true, there is going to be a cost to it. We're going to have to practice it. We're going to have to learn it. Um, I remember as a little boy when it just wasn't enough to have these theories about God. But does following Jesus and trusting Jesus have anything to do with the way I live every day? And then I begin to encounter some of these things in the scripture and begin to try them out. Oh, forgiveness. Oh, wow. That is a better way to live. That does feel better. Like that does lead to more thriving and more of what I think I'm supposed to be in the world. And when I treat others in that way, it seems to help heal. It seems to make things better. So to trust in Jesus, if we're really going to sing these words, then I would argue maybe we can trust things that we can actually hold in our hearts and hold in our lives and our lives be an example of like, yeah, these work. And the peace that I'm carrying, the grace, the love, the healing that I'm trying to bring to the world around me, oh, you're going to feel it because it's going to feel different than perhaps the way other people respond to those kinds of things. So, one other thing about uh, an observation about vengeance is that it always inflates the ego, all the time. Um, he says in here, uh, Samson says, this time I have a right. Isn't it crazy how justified we can feel for crazy things when we're hurt? I, I feel this all the time. It's like, that you know, my ego gets big and I think, well, they have a right to, to get this, or I have a right to treat them that way. I decide the proper method of punishment and the timing of it, right? And it just, it doesn't work. Once again, it doesn't lead to well-being um, in the soul. Jesus did not retaliate. He didn't even threaten revenge. What did he say on the cross? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus had this profound sense of trust and content to let God set things right. So maybe here's a way we could say it. Um, revenge is a failure to entrust yourself entirely to God's ultimate sense of justice. Essentially, it's saying this. It's saying, God, you're in my seat. I'm the rightful judge. I'm the one that can bring about what needs to be brought about here. And so if we're going to trust Jesus then we have to trust Jesus in that kind of way. Jesus ultimately sees that 
That's God's place to do that. And what does he do? He doesn't retaliate. He doesn't give back what's being given to him. And in fact, what he teaches us is that this is the way the world is healed. Is it easy? No. There's a cost to it. But I would argue if we begin to practice it, if we begin to test it, it, I think we would all find along the way that truly is something better for our soul. So the turning point for me in all this, when I was testing out, is loving your enemy really a better way to live? You know what I did? I stepped back and I went, hmm, let me think about people who hate their enemy. And let me look at their lives. And that was a turning point for me. Because when I looked at people who truly hated people and were just so full of resentment, I was like, I don't, no, that don't look right. I don't, I don't, I don't think that helps. I don't think it's helping them. I don't think it's helping the situation. That maybe they're just, they, they've been hurt. They've been wrong. But I don't think that is making it better. And I don't think that's undoing the wrong. And so for me, the game changer was simply going, look at the person who hates their enemy. Is that a better way to live? And I had to conclude, no, I don't think it is. And so my heart a little more began to trust, I think maybe this way of forgiveness, this flow of forgiveness that Jesus is inviting us into might actually be a better way. And so I moved toward it a little more. And I'll, I'll testify to it this morning. The more I've moved into it, the more I've learned to trust it. And the more I've learned to trust these words of Jesus here. Um, in Job, listen to this, because this is what it could sound like for someone who's full of resentment and who um, just wants to get revenge, isn't learning what forgiveness is. In Job, listen to these words. One person dies in full vigor, completely secure and at ease, well-nourished in body, bones rich with marrow. I would say that's probably the person who, who lives in the flow of forgiveness. Now listen to this. Another dies in bitterness of soul, never having enjoyed anything good. I would argue that to live in unforgiveness could rob you of very real joy, of very real living out what we were made to live where good things can be experienced. And I bet you if you looked at people who were hurting the most, you probably would find, yeah, there's a wound there, and they need to be loved, and they need to be cared for. But they also need to open their heart to what forgiveness might look like so that they don't rob their own lives of joy. One last thing here. I want to go back to the Sermon on the Mount because um, Jesus here, just in the prayer that he invites us to pray, he puts this in the prayer, in the model prayer, the Lord's Prayer. And essentially it's God, forgive us as we forgive who? Others. That's in the prayer. Why is that in the prayer? Is this so God can make us miserable? Is that what God's up to? Just to make us all miserable and to make us feel worse? No, I think it's in the prayer. Not just so God could say, that's my way. I think it's in the prayer because it's actually what leads to thriving in the human heart and in the, in the world that we live in. So just a couple of points of clarification, and then I'm going to wrap this up on forgiveness. A couple of things. First of all, in some situations, to uh, forgive is to forget, but in other situations, to forgive is to remember. Um, we've all had interactions with friends, and there was misunderstanding, or you know, we hurt each other in some way, and then you go to each other and you go, hey, did you know this made me feel this way? No, I didn't know that. In fact, I didn't even mean that by that. And you you, you make amends, you go, you know what, thank you. 
we, you know, we, we came together on this, and we're not even going to speak of that anymore. It's, it's forgotten. There, so there is this moment in forgiveness where you just forget and you move on. Then there are other moments in choosing forgiveness where someone has truly been abused or hurt or wounded in some way, and to forgive is to remember. And it is to go, uh, I need to set up some loving boundaries here. I'll, I, you know, to choose forgiveness is always the right thing to do, but that is separate from putting up boundaries. I, I would say it like this, you can, you can forgive and still get a restraining order. Those two things are possible. So what we're not saying in this is that you just, you know, you accept more abuse. That is not what we're saying. We're saying that to forgive is the best thing for you. To open your heart to that is the absolute best thing for you. Another thing, this does forgiving. Oh, by the way, um, we can forgive someone if they take our pen. I love the way that this person says this. We should not be their friend unless they give it back. <laughs> Think about that, Right? If your friend takes something and they can give it back to you and they don't, maybe you can't trust them as your friend, but you can forgive them. These are two separate ways of thinking about it. Does forgiving mean restoring trust and reconciling? I would say in the most healthy relationships, yes, yes, it does. But that isn't always true. If someone breaks trust with you, you should be on the path to forgive them. No matter what they do or how they respond, but that does not mean because you don't know how they're going to respond to you. You do not know if that can move to the place where you can reconcile or you can trust them again. I've had these kind of relationships in my life where I've chosen to forgive, but the relationship can't go back to the way it was because trust is broken, and I really can't trust you right now. Maybe we could work at it and, and get it back. Two completely dip different kinds of issues there. And then one last thing here. And to not forgive, if you're living with that, it could be hurting the most innocent people in your life. I find this all the time in my own heart where there's some pain or something and I find myself coming out on some innocent person around me. Often they look like children, husbands and wives and employees and students. That's what they look like. So often those things emanate from a place of unforgiveness. So pay attention to those kinds of things. Forgiveness is a process. We're not going to get there overnight. If tomorrow you spend less time thinking about their demise, I'll give you a high five and a hug and go, yes, that is progress. So steps of progress. It's okay. This is a process. But we're being invited to trust this. Okay, let's land this thing. Uh, Jesus, in these words here, God, forgive us as we forgive others. It's interesting to me, and I'm talking about myself, but when it comes to others, the first instinct I have, the first impulse is justice. You know, they, make them pay for it. But when it comes to ourselves and when it comes to me, it's mercy. That's me. That's not none of you here in the room, so I'm confessing that. The truth is, this, this is true for a lot of the world. And, and just to pause and think about that, how quick we are to demand justice for someone else and mercy for ourselves. That just, it doesn't feel right. That's why these words are in the prayer. God forgive us as we forgive those. There is this Christ-like pattern of forgiveness and it feels like an agonizing death. I'm not gonna lie, it's not easy, but it leads to resurrection. And people who trust it, they are changed human beings. 
Let me say it like this. Don't take revenge. Forgiveness, okay, Karen. Forgiveness means refusing to make them pay for what they did. However, to refrain from lashing out at someone when you want to do so with all your being is agony. Let's just be honest about it. It's agony. It is a form of suffering. You are absorbing the debt, taking the cost of it completely on yourself instead of taking it out on the other person. It hurts terribly. Everyone look. It hurts terribly. There is a cost to this. Many people would say it feels like a kind of death. Yes, but it is a death that leads to resurrection instead of the lifelong living death of bitterness and cynicism. That's why these words are trustworthy, because they lead us away from a living death of bitterness and cynicism. But I'm not going to lie to you. There's a cost. There's a pain. There's a death. There's a struggle in it. But just in case you've never heard it before, that struggle leads to healing. That struggle leads to the thing that you want to be relieved of that is causing you the greatest pain. And so we can sing these words of Jesus and just think about going to heaven when we die, or we can sing these words of Jesus and see how we live the kind of lives that practice this and learn it and share it with the world around us. That's what this is all about. I just want to give you the prayer mantra as we go. This I want want to leave you with for you to think about. And it's this. I set my attention to become the kind of person who is free from resentment. Forgiving is setting someone free and then finding it was me. Where do we get the notion that to forgive is about them? I don't know. And I do think it does help. Because to, to just give someone back what you think they deserve or what they gave you, it does not really end. It just perpetuates more of that same kind of feeling and more of that desire to get even. The person that gets set free in all this is me and you. And we don't know it until we go through that death and we go through the struggle of it and then on the other side of it, resurrection, and we look at ourselves and our hearts and our lives and our beings and we go, I'm a different human being. And to know each other's story, this is the last thing I'm going to say, to know each other's story a little more, um, this is something that's so helpful to me. When someone's hurt me, when someone's disappointed me, or even when someone's taken advantage or abused me in some way, the most helpful prayer that I can pray is help me see the larger story here. And I cannot tell you when I've asked that question, even the people that have hurt me the most, I inevitably find something that helps me understand a little more why people act the way they act. There's some things you just can't understand. But when you actually know the larger story of people's lives, it is surprising how much compassion and love and grace can come out. So we all want that for ourselves. Can we share it more freely with the world around us? Because that's what these rhythms of grace are all about. And Jesus says, if you'll trust these, you'll live more lightly and freely. 
I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to believe him. How, would you guys want to believe him with me and practice him? What do you think? Okay. May you trust Jesus more and more and prove that this way of being, this way of living can actually be the most healthy thing for yourself, most healthy for the relationships that challenge you the most. And may choosing to trust Jesus and what forgiveness looks like in the world, may we all discover that somewhere in a deep, deep place, we have found everything that we've been looking for, and we are set free in a way that just brings more joy, more love, more grace and peace into our hearts, our lives, and the world around us. May we be those kind of people. Amen. Like when I close my